title of this is called A New Start. Um, over the years, I've talked a lot about um, what I believe is the identity crisis in the church. Okay. And um, so I've stated that a lot. And, and why do I think that? Um, how do you identify yourself? Are you a child of God? Most would say, yeah, right. But what does that mean? Tonight, I want to find out. We're going to find out. I want you to see things in a, a little different light, but I want you to see how this is important, but you don't hear much about it in the church. You know, mostly what you hear in the church is, oh, be humble, you know, and humble means really to be, have a learning spirit, to be humble to learn. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't talk about our positioning, who we really are. And um, I think that's the thing I want to really talk about tonight and, and drill in so that we understand who we really are. And um, I want, to, want us to go back to Genesis 1, starting in verse 26, um, and ask this. What was the first commandment God gave Adam and Eve in the garden? Do we remember? Let's, let's read it, starting in, in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, Subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So I would take that as this is our marching orders, right? This was Adam's marching orders. What was he to do? He was to go out and rule over creation. He was to keep it under control. He had authority to do that because God told him. Be fruitful, multiply, rule over these things. Um, was the serpent to be ruled over? Yeah, he was, wasn't he? Okay. Well, the word image right here, and we've talked about this before. The root, me the root meaning means a shade, a phantom, um, an illusion, a resemblance, hence a representative figure, Adam was. And it says in his likeness. Uh, a primitive root needs to compare uh, to resemble, to consider, um, to use similar similitudes. Basically, what one is, he was to be like this in the image of. The other, you can take as he also said to operate like. Okay, it's it's likeness. Um, as a matter of fact, when you when you look at the uh, theological workbook of the Old Testament from Mighty from uh, Moody's Bible Institute, it says this: man is not just an image but a likeness image. He is not simply a representative, but representational. Man is the visible corporate representative of the invisible bodiless God, guarantees that man is an adequate and faithful representative of God on the earth. Now, that's an important line of thinking, the way the Hebrew puts this out to us and how we should have that image of Adam. Because what does Adam do? He forfeits all that. You know, we know that what happened was, you know, Satan came into the garden. Satan tempted Eve. 
He deceived Eve? Did he deceive Adam? No, he didn't deceive Adam. Adam made a willful mistake. He made a willful decision to step out to breach the covenant, the position of authority that God had placed him in. And what he did was he gave that authority over to our enemy, the devil. So once that happened, once he gave that over, God had to come up with a plan B because his representative, his ambassador, gave all that over to the enemy. So what was God's B plan? Jesus. Jesus was his B plan. The second Adam. Now, this is why it's important that we understand this. In John 5, 25 through 32. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, who's going to hear? Who is going to hear from the Son of God? The dead, right? For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment. Why? Because he is the Son of Man. Now, we see the distinction. There's a distinction here. There's the Son of God and there's the Son of Man. And it's important we understand the son of man aspect of it, okay? Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to the resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to the resurrection of judgment. So the son of God is going to descend into the pits upon the crucifixion, his death, He's going to preach the gospel to those that were down there. I'm talking about all your, your uh, maybe even Adam and Eve. We're talking about Abraham, Isaac, Joseph. He's going to preach as the son of God, and they're going to recognize him as the son of God to come out. So did the father give Jesus authority? Yes, he did. He said this passage says he did. First, uh, did the first Adam have authority? Yes, we discovered that in verse uh, Genesis one twenty six. Question: Did Jesus act with this this authority as the Son of God or the Son of Man? Son of Man. He acted as the Son of Man. So it's important that we note this was Jesus as defined in in Romans uh, uh, as the second the second Adam. Okay, so it's important that we understand that relationship. But first we know Jesus came to restore man's relationship to the Father. What was Adam's relationship to the Father before the fall? In Genesis 3, um, looking at 8 through 13, it said, They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called out to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, This woman whom you gave <laughs> this woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. 
So first of all, the thing that that you know we've noted before is that uh, what Adam said. You know, was he blaming Eve? No. What he really did was blame God. This woman you gave me. So, do you think this was the first time God made a visit to the garden to talk to Adam? No, I would say it was daily. He was coming into the garden constantly having fellowship. And that's the thing that's important to note here, because what was broken was relationship and fellowship. What Jesus came to restore was relationship and fellowship. Now, there's a distinction between the two, okay? You can have relationship with somebody, but they don't have to be a relation. Then you can have fellowship with somebody, but they don't have to be a relative, right? They don't. You don't have to have a relationship. Am I right? Okay. I mean, you got your brother, your sister. You can have fellowship with them. They're related to you. But how about if that fellowship is broken? The relationship between the brother, the brother, the sister, the father, and the mother is still there. But the fellowship can be broken. And that's what happens for many Christians. Many Christians don't realize, you know, they think of backslider. Well, backsliders, you know, he's in trouble. He's going to hell. No. If he doesn't commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, he still knows that Christ is his Savior. He just is not in fellowship with the Lord. So that fellowship is broken because God will not have fellowship. What fellowship does light have with darkness? So God's not having fellowship with him, but the relationship is still there. Do we understand that? Yeah. Now, what Esau did, for example, was he broke that relationship. He basically said, I'm done. You know, I want that cup of stew. <laughs> you know, I don't care about my birthright. Well, what was the birthright? The birthright was everything. It was his position in the family. It was everything, according to what, you know, was, was at that time the Jewish tradition. Well, it's the same thing with God. Unless you commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, God's not dumping you overboard and saying, well, I'm done with you, child. You know, and most of you wouldn't either. If your child went out and did something wrong, you don't say, I don't want anything else to do with you. You're done. You don't do that. You say, oh boy, you screwed up. You know, now what are we going to do? How are we going to get relate that, that fellowship back? Because you may not agree with what your child went out and did. You may want to not have fellowship with that, but the relationship is still there. Am I right or am I wrong? No, that's true. Okay, so it's important that we understand that. So the next question I have, what deeds is Jesus talking about? What did he say next? Okay, in verse 30, I can do nothing in my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Okay, now, why is that important? We're going to find out in a little bit. Um, what is the will of God? Luke 4, 43. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowd there searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God for the other cities also, for I was sent for this. Do you want to know why Jesus was sent? 
he was sent to preach the kingdom of God. Now, it's neither meat nor drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's the position you move into coming to Christ, coming into the new covenant relationship. And he said in John, 1 John 3, 8, the Son of Man appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So what are the works of the devil? It's the curse, but what does it include? Let's talk about what Jesus said it was, okay? Because this is this is where he it starts coming out. He starts bringing things out. In Luke 4, 16 through 19, and he came to Nazareth where he had been taught or brought up, and, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, when, what that word means in the poor means destitute. Um, those that leave, lead, lead life as a beggar. We're talking about poverty people. He sent me to proclaim release. That means to set free to the captives. And the word captive literally means a prisoner of war. And recovery of sight to the blind, both blinded physically and mentally. It covers both. To set free those who are oppressed. What that means is in the, in the Greek means broken or shattered. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, we understand that the favorable year of the Lord was Jubilee, and we've shared this before. Um, did that offend the religious people. Yeah, it did. Why? Because the Jews had stopped celebrating the year of Jubilee. And uh, we found out that in, in Luke 28, 428, that all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And I asked the question, why would they be filled with rage when they heard these things? It wasn't about the things that he talked about, setting the captives free, uh, recovery of sight to the blind, uh, the, you know, setting free those who were oppressed. It wasn't that, it was proclaiming the year of the Lord, because we know what happened during the year of Jubilee. All the debt was re was released. All the, the servants that they had working for them were, that owed them money were released. Everything was forgetting. It was a new plate. So we're talking about, it was a big deal for a lot of people today, regardless, you know? But back then in Jerusalem, that would have been a very big deal, okay? That brings us back to the question, you know, that I've always asked is, who are you? And this is the same question that they asked Jesus. We discovered in John 8, uh, 25 through 30. So they were saying to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? So what had Jesus been saying all along? He's been declaring who he is, okay? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, I speak to the world. Now, I want you to understand, when we send an ambassador into another country, what is his job? He represents the president of the United States, mm -hmm. who represents the people, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. So his job is, to say what the president says, if they can figure that out. <laughs> His job is to say what the president says. His job is to 
state what our um, opinions are on certain things of the world and how we'll deal with them. He is a representative of our government. So what Jesus is saying is, the things that I hear from him, uh, these things I speak to the world. What I'm, I'm here as an ambassador. I'm speaking these things that the Father says, and the whole world should hear it. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, who? Son of Man. Then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. So as the second, the job of the second Adam is to be a representative, to be an ambassador for God the Father. Now, relate that back. Should the first Adam, who had authority to do what everything God said to do, did he have that same authority? Yes, he would have. But he started, he went down a different path. He started saying what the enemy said. He started deceiving after the enemy. He gave over all that authority, as we said earlier. So, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Did that suffice for the Jewish leaders, the religious people at that time? No, no. Did they believe who he is? No. So they ask again. You go back down, you go to John chapter 10. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? Well, had he been saying all along who he was? Yeah. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The words that I do in my Father's name. Now, that's an important point. You know, we hear about in the name a lot of times, but I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. He says, I don't say anything but what the Father told me to say. So when I'm speaking under this authority, under this ambassadorship that's been put upon me, I'm speaking what the Father says. I'm speaking in his name. Now, that's important to understand Jesus is repeating what the very throne of God is coming from, the very throne of God, the maker of everything. These, he says, testifies of me. Verse 26, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, that's important because that tells you we're talking about covenant terms. We're, we're coming into covenant terms because this is important, but there's going to be another one that's important. Okay. Um, did Jesus have all his prayers answered? As God's ambassador, he did. Yes. Now, how did he perform all these miracles as the Son of Man? You know, people think, well, that's the son of God. He stilled the waters. He walked, you know, Peter, all these things happened. He raised the dead. The deaf heard. But what I'm telling you is Jesus was acting as the son of man. He was acting as the second Adam 
that had the authority to do what the first Adam should have had should have been doing all along. See, that's where we, we understand that Eve was deceived. She was deceived into it. But it doesn't say Adam was he just chose. And I would say as as an ambassador, okay, he had a choice. He knew what the word of God said. Point is, he understood it. He knew it. And he violated that. So John 17, back down to verse 9. I ask on their behalf. Well, wait a minute. Start back for I glorify you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's go back to John 17, one through five. And Jesus spoke these things, lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh. Okay. As an ambassador, he had authority as the ambassador, God's ambassador on this earth. He had the authority that to all whom you have given me, they may I he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ you, you have sent. Now that's important. When you listen to what that word is, he said, he may give eternal life. This is eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's an important scripture for us to know. Okay. Verse four, and I glorify you on the earth, having accomplished the works which you have given me to do. So see where Adam, the first Adam, did not accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish, to rule, have authority, to really develop my kingdom on this earth. He decided not to do that. But Jesus is taking another, another route. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I have been with you before the world was. In verse 9, and I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. That's the other part. Of another part of covenant. When you enter covenant, everything that is yours becomes mine. Everything that's mine becomes yours. Just ask husband and wives. Everything the husband has becomes hers. And everything that's hers stays hers. But we know how it works, right? Okay. And I am glorified in them. I no longer, I am no longer in the world, and yet themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, your covenant name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, what he is talking about there is a covenant statement. And most of the time, if we don't understand covenant, we don't understand, well, in his name, what's that mean? Okay. Well, Mark 1, the beginning of the gospel, Mark 1. He says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark words it, words it that way. And we know what Jesus means is when he's talking about in your name, it's those that have entered the covenant of Jesus Christ. Now, it's too many times or so many times we hear Christians talking about, well, in the name, in the name, in the name. But I don't think they truly understand what that means 
when you are talking about in the name, you're talking about your position in the covenant of Christ. Okay? That's why, you know, when things don't happen, maybe they just say, well, yeah, I can pray in the name of Jesus and you're healed. No, what you're praying is in the covenant of Jesus Christ, according to the terms of the covenant that I have with Jesus Christ, according to the terms of the covenant you have with Jesus Christ, healing belongs to you and I command it on your body now. Do you see the difference? People that just flippantly, oh yeah, in the name of Jesus, yeah, boom. But what you're really stating is a covenant, the terms of the covenant, the covenant of Christ. And it's important for us to understand it because if we're flippantly saying it, the devil may just say, well, I just flippantly throw that off. That doesn't mean anything. But when you're in that position of knowing who you are in Christ and you are stipulating in that name, you are calling upon the covenant of the greater one to come into play. You're calling upon your covenant God to come into place. You're calling upon your covenant God, which provides healing, to come into your place. See, it's not just a name to be thrown around. It represents the covenant that you're in, positioned in, okay? John 17. Well, first, uh, now as we read uh, what Jesus prayed, it would appear that his prayer was only about the disciples. And that's what a lot think. But let's hear the rest of that prayer, in, uh, starting in verse 20. And I do not ask on behalf of these alone. Who's these? The disciples. Okay. But for those who also, also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you and Father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. That's that other scripture that I say is so important because that's the scripture that Jesus prayed to position us in that new covenant relationship. And what that new covenant does is really replace what Adam threw out. That's called a, a unilateral covenant, okay? Adam was in that position of having a unilateral covenant. The only way he could, could violate that covenant was to give it up. Esau, the only way Esau could get rid of that birthright was to what? Give it up. That's what the first Adam did. The second Adam is saying, look, now I'm offering you a new covenant. Is it based upon your righteousness? No. Our righteousness is as dirty rags. Our righteousness is through Christ's righteousness. The blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's why it's a better covenant, as Hebrews says. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> now, what does that do? That changes our position. Because as I mentioned before, you know, under the, the secondary covenant that God had, which was the lateral covenant relationship, the old covenant relationship, everything was based upon conditions. In essence, it's what we call the two-way street. If you do this, these blessings will come. If you do that, these curses will come. So it's do this, receive this. Do this, receive this. Make sense? Okay. A unilateral covenant doesn't have those conditions. 
It's a one-way street. It's based upon grace. Now, there's a lot being said about grace today. And some people take it all the way to the extreme. But I want you to know, you can, you can have grace and God will cover you in grace, but that doesn't mean you won't reap what you sow, okay? If you're going to out there read Galatians, if you're going to sow to the flesh, you can reap from the flesh. Can God forgive you? Yeah, and you may, through his mercy and grace, get out of some of it, but you may also reap from it, okay? So we want to we want to make sure that we're pursuing the things of the spirit, not the things of the flesh. So in Romans 8, 12 through 17, it says this. So then, brother, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. That's a bad ending. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And if you, um, for you have a nation delivering, uh, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now. This is important because, and I've shared this before, it's important to understand that under that new covenant that Jesus brought in, okay, we become sons and daughters. What was their relationship with God under the old covenant? They were friends. Abraham was a friend of God. Moses spoke to God that said, as a friend speaks to a friend. So everything back then was on a friendship relationship. They're trying to work out that friendship relationship. They're trying to keep things in a good standing with God. Now, God received grace or, or faith from them, which because they believed God, he reconciled that as faith unto Abraham. And that kept Abraham in a good position as a friend. But I want you to know, a friend is nowhere near as close as a son or a daughter. Blood is blood. Amen? A blood relationship is much stronger than just that relationship of a friendship. We are now heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ. What did we inherit from the first Adam? Sickness, poverty, death, the curse. That's what we inherited from Adam number one. So, what did we inherit from Adam number two? Wholeness, which is deliverance, safety, healing, prosperity, and preservation, all salvation. And see, too many times theologians want to look at that and say, oh, hey, that's the way it'll be once you get to heaven. That's salvation. But Paul said, today's the day of salvation. So if today's the day, today's the day of healing, prosperity, safety, preservation, deliverance, right? That means it's for us now. That's why it's important that we understand the difference. As a child of God, we can call upon those promises of God. That's our inheritance to us. Now, why would it be an inheritance? Because Christ, our second Adam, sacrificed himself on the cross, died, and left a will and last testament, which we have as our inheritance. Now, a lot of people look back and say, well, Abraham's blessings are mine. 
But I'm telling you, Abraham's blessings aren't anything compared to what Jesus left us as an inheritance. Safety, healing, deliverance, prosperity, and preservation. The problem is too many Christians haven't wrought to bring it into their life because they don't know they can. To me, that's a tragedy. They suffer through poverty. What did Jesus say he came? He came for those that were in poverty. They'll suffer through sickness. What did Jesus say? I came to deliver. I came to heal the brokenhearted. I came to, he, he told us what he came for. And yet too many Christians aren't walking in that provision that Christ gave his life on the cross for, for us to have. And too many churches aren't preaching it. That's because they've gotten away from covenant relationship. They've gotten away from where what you make as a covenant when you enter into that covenant relationship with God. It's not just salvation as far as, well, you're going to be saved once you die. You know, at least you won't go to hell. At least you'll wind up going to heaven. But I'm telling you, people, salvation is a whole lot more. Your covenant is worth a whole lot more to you today. My people perish for the lack of knowledge. What is that lack of knowledge? The lack of knowledge of knowing their covenant relationship, the promises of God, what Jesus has provided, the lack of knowledge, and they suffer for it. The devil will use it like crazy. Now, just because those promises are there, does that mean the devil won't attack you? No. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but that's not where Jesus stopped. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You can stand against what that enemy is going to throw at you. And those are the giants that people will face in life. They're going to be the giants. But if you're living on what, what Christ has offered us. Now, let's look at Ephesians 5, 1. Because once he has been in that position of authority, what are we supposed to do? See, the reason I bring all this up is because there's something that we're told to do. Ephesians 5.1, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave him some up for us and offering a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. The word imitators there means to behave in a like manner, to behave, to do as another does. Do we have a pattern of what Jesus did? What did he do? Paul writes this in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7. He says, you yourselves know that you should do uh, just what we did. He's talking about disciples. He's basically saying, you need to be imitators of Christ. As a matter of fact, he says, imitate us as we imitate Christ. You know, step out, start, start being like Christ. You are, you are the new ambassadors. You're the new ambassadors. But you know, you see people in trouble. You see people that are having problems. And you're walking down the street and you can see it. You can see it in the store and people having problems. And you say, well, should I go over and say, can I pray for you? Uh, you know, and, and we'll believe Christ will hear you. No, they'll think I'm nuts. The enemy comes immediately to try to steal the word. What word? The word of God telling you, be like Christ. Go lay hands on that person. Go talk to them. Tell them in love. Introduce them to Christ. Okay? We are to walk in the same manner as Christ. Walk in the same manner as Christ. Act in the same manner as Christ. Walk by faith as Jesus walked. Walk in love as Jesus walked in love. See, because we know that faith works by love. 
So if it's done in a way, anything like that is done in a way of, hey, look at this, I'll get some glory out of this. I'll go up and tell them, you know, I'll lay hands on it and say, don't look for anything to happen. It's through love and compassion that Jesus always moved, okay? Now, what's that mean? It means we, you know, as we are to live by faith, the righteous man shall live by faith, and uh, in him we live, move, and have our being. We recognize that, but we also have to know that it's love manifest in us, the Holy Spirit, God. And if we aren't at that level yet, we need to grow to that level. We need to have God grow us to that level of love. That if it, you even see an enemy comes up to you and starts persecuting you, that you can see with the love of God, his eyes. Does that make sense? Why? Because that individual doesn't know Christ and his end is going to be eternal hell unless he comes to Christ. Yes. Listen, Jesus came to restore our position to the Father as sons and daughters. He came to restore what Adam gave away under the first relationship in the garden. We're called to move to that higher level. And we are in that covenant that allows us to do that. We are now the ambassadors. I believe we will stop for this week. And please join us next week for the conclusion of this message. And have a blessed week.